Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. So good to be with you. Now, today's theme or title is don't trade your inner life for the illusion of momentum. Don't trade your inner life for the illusion of momentum. And my comments are going to come primarily out of the book of Revelation, which I've been meditating and studying and pondering afresh uh, these last few months. I've been eating it, as John the Apostle wrote uh, in the book itself, letting it become a part of me. And I really want to invite you to do the same as well. Hopefully this will whet your appetite to do so. But I want to begin today in our theme with a story about Catherine the Great uh, in 1787. Uh, she reigned over Russia. Uh, one of her field marshals named Gregorio Potemkin, uh, he wanted to impress her. So he organized a tour of southern Russia for her. Uh, in fact, it was considered one of the most lavish royal tours in the history of Russia. And uh, he was governor of one of her provinces, and he was anxious to impress her with his expertise. So he organized a, a visit for the empress uh, in 1787. So he planned it over a four-year period. It was very lavish, very costly. It actually covered the distance of a, a thousand miles. And so as she came all along the way, uh, Catherine the Great, she would gaze out of her carriage at these very happy peasants who lined the shores and the streets for mile after mile after mile. And what a Potemkin had done was he had created these fake villages, uh, these shams, uh, with, in other words, they were fake buildings, actually. And she, he would transport the peasants from village to village in advance to so that they'd be standing there in front of these fake villages, you know, applauding and impressing the empress. And so the term Potemkin village entered uh, the vocabulary culturally and uh, in English. Uh, and it came to mean putting up a facade, political facade, to actually cover up unseemly conditions of Potemkin village. And really that can happen so easily in the church where we, we um, present an illusion. Uh, an exterior, we look like Everything's great. We have a great integrity. God's moving. The services are wonderful. Programs are, you know, uh, impressive. People are maybe coming. Numbers are going up slowly. We feel like there's a sense of momentum. Uh, but actually, uh, beneath it all, the inner integrity is not quite there. And it's an illusion of momentum. Uh, and there's been some trades to make that happen. So today, in particular, I'm focusing on not trading your inner life for the illusion of momentum. Uh, and so the word integrity, is a, it's a great word, and it talks about wholeness and completeness, integration. Uh, it's appearing to be something on the outside that you're not fully on the inside. It's, you're divided or incomplete. And think of a building or a bridge has to have structural integrity or it'll basically collapse at some point. Or the same thing with people or ourselves or organizations can appear to have it all together, but there's a gap, uh, a large gap in the, in the structural integrity of the person or the ministry. So again, don't trade your inner life for the illusion of momentum. Now, in the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus is walking among the lampstands, seven particular churches in Asia Minor, uh, but actually it applies to all the churches all through history, all of us today. And he's present in their midst. He's walking among them. He's aware of their activities uh, because the church uh, is the light of the world. Uh, we are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world, you know, because of Jesus walking among us, his presence in our midst. And, and I think we often underestimate how the importance of, the, of a local church, regardless of size, I don't care if it's 20 or 200 or 2,000 or 20,000, uh, the church is the most important 
institution on the earth. Uh, married people need need it. Uh, singles need it. Teenagers need the church. Elderly, shut-ins, uh, communities, families. Uh, the stability of a community and being built in the name of Jesus is the great gift uh, critical for the world to not just be preserved, but to thrive. Uh, and uh, so Jesus is deeply concerned about his church. And so in the midst of this very pivotal moment in history in the first century, he comes to the church and he speaks to her. Now, again, again I'm talking to you as leaders and pastors of churches, but I'm also speaking to those of you who are listening who are leaders of nonprofits or perhaps in the marketplace. You're different uh, because you belong to Jesus. You represent Jesus. You follow Jesus. And so you are light and you're, you're forming and shaping this, uh, your ministry or your uh, the, your circle of influence for Christ. And you don't want to trade your inner life for an illusion or the illusion of momentum. So what uh, the book of Revelation does, or the, or the apostle John does as he receives his revelation, uh, it, it, he takes uh, the people, he takes the church uh, out of an earthly perspective to God's. So they can see and they can discern and understand what's going on, what's God's purposes here, and, and that they can flourish in the incredibly difficult situation in which they find themselves. Uh, and act, in fact, the Apostle John is taken up into heaven in order to see the world from this heavenly perspective. Uh, and he invites them to, to listen and read. And we get to see what's really going on behind the events around us in, in, in the first century, in particular current events. And we're transported into a clear vision from God of the of the world as it is and the future of the world and God's ultimate purpose in human history. And, and in the context of Revelation, it's so important for us today and so apropos because they're under a, they're under intense pressure. The word that's used repeatedly uh, in the book of Revelation is they're under thalipsis, which means afflictions. Uh, literally, they're under crushing pressure, uh, intense pressure. Uh, in the same way, the church is under intense pressure right now uh, around the world. Uh, and the intense pressure in the first century was economic. They were being slandered. They were falsely accused. They were, in many cases, poor. But the full force of the Roman Empire was bearing down on them. All the political, military, cultural might of the Roman Empire, the, the greatest empire the world had ever known up to that point, uh, was bearing down on this small minority church uh, scattered in Asia Minor in the first century. Uh, and evil appears to be flourishing, and the righteous appear to be suffering. Uh, Christians are confronted with this Roman vision of the world, from great cities to incredible architecture to tremendous festivals, enormous military that, that provided safety and security and prosperity, to these massive temples to pagan gods, the glory of Rome. The world had never seen anything like it. And, and the question is, who's the Lord over the world? The righteous suffer, the wicked flourish. The world seems dominated by evil and chaos outside of Rome. Where is God? Where is his kingdom? Uh, and it really does seem like the Roman Empire is completely dominant. And the church is suffering under thalipsis or intense pressure. And so, so people are tired. Uh, they're tempted to quit under this pressure. Or they're compromising with the pagan culture of the Roman Empire around them. And so what Revelation does, it provides a powerful counter vision, a prophetic counter vision to Christians to give the church a different vision of what's going on really around them. There's a purging going on of their imaginations for a new one, a cleansing. And so John creates this symbolic world of images to wash the imagination uh, of people like us. 
uh, and we need this today. You know, Western culture dominates, overwhelms us, much as Rome did, with news feeds and social media. We're inundated with, with, with what's going on in the world, endless scrolling on Instagram or TikTok, and we, we rarely feel like we're winning. Uh, and, and so in John's world that he creates in Revelation, uh, he uses these familiar images. Rome is pictured as a beast, the devil as a massive red dragon. And uh, he, he reveals that there's satanic power incarnated in the oppressive Roman Empire with their false prophets, propaganda, their machine, their lies. But it's a revelation, an unveiling uh, in this book, the last book of the Bible, that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is the Lord God Almighty uh, who holds everything in his grip. Ten times he referred to as the Lord God Almighty. And uh, this, uh, yes, uh, the church may seem like a tiny minority against this uh, overwhelming might of the state and the culture and pagan society, uh, but God calls the church to, to bear witness to the truth over and against the lies of the beast, the culture. And he says to them, he says to one of the churches, of the seven churches, you know, you, uh, you may appear to be poor, but you're rich. Uh, and be faithful to the point of death. And you have an indispensable part in the unfolding of what God's doing on the earth. And so we're, we're invited uh, in the very beginning of the book, you know, blessed are those who read the words of this prophecy and take it to heart. And uh, this book is meant to flow over you and there's a blessing reading. It's incredibly encouraging, actually. What you're doing, your life is incredibly important. Uh, and it's a really, this is a revelation, first and foremost, about God, who is the Lord God Almighty, who's supreme, who got, who's all-powerful, who's got everything in his grip. He's the Alpha, the Omega, who was and who is and who was, to, who, who was, who is, who was, and who is to come. In other words, he created time itself, and he is on the throne, the Lord God Almighty, not Nero, not Domitian, not any of the Roman emperors. And it's to him that belongs glory and honor and power and strength forever and ever. Those were terms that were used for the Roman emperors. No, no. It's not to, it's to God who's on the throne ruling. And so there's constantly at different intervals in the book of Revelation, a breaking out into worship to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, Jesus. In the first century, Roman rule, uh, Pax Romana, was heavily promoted. It's considered Roman's gift to the world that if you'd come under Rome's uh, leadership, you'd have peace and security and prosperity. It was the eternal city. Uh, dazzling wealth and prosperity came to all her subject. She seemed invincible. And one of the texts in Revelation says, who is like the beast and who can fight against her? The message of Revelation is, is a, it's all an illusion. It's a lie. And uh, Rome is not just pictured as a beast, but a great prostitute, Babylon the Great, who intoxicates the nations with her wine, that is her wealth and power. And the point of Revelation is she's going to collapse. She's going to fall. God's working. God's got a plan. It's going to disappear. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And God's working a kingdom on the earth. And we're an indispensable part of it. And uh, God is not absent by any means, but he's moving and he's present in a very hidden way uh, in these small little churches, all us Christians. Uh, he is at work uh, and he's made us a salt of the earth. And just, not just that Babylon and every empire the world has ever made will fall, but there's going to be a new Jerusalem, a new city, a new heaven, a new earth that's coming. That's the whole book ends. The whole Bible ends with this revelation of a city coming down from heaven. So they didn't feel like they were winning, uh, but Jesus calls them to an inner integrity. Again, things can appear to have an outer integrity, 
Think of Catherine the Great in the Potemkin village, these fake villages that that field marshal Potemkin created to impress her. Uh, in some ways, a church or a ministry or a ministry can appear to have outer integrity, good worship, crowds, people are excited, good programs, sermons are solid, money stable. But Jesus is concerned with inner integrity uh, of the church. And so uh, he comes and he speaks first. That he, he's speaking to the seven churches. Uh, he speaks to us. And his eyes are like blazing fire. In other words, he sees through appearances uh, and what appears like things like momentum. He walks among the lampstand and he observes their real condition of what's going on inside the church. And he goes, he says things like, I know the real truth of what is happening. You are poor, but really rich. Or he says to another church, you appear rich, but you're really poor. Uh, and he says to another church, you have the reputation of being alive, but I know you're really dead. You're barely hanging on. And so he penetrates the hidden truths of what's going on, of motives and thoughts. He exposes uncomfortable truths. And he actually speaks to one of the churches, Laodicea, and, and in a very, in a sense, humble way, he he, he says, I, I'm knocking at the door of, of the church. I'm, I'm asking you to let me in. If you hear my voice, let me in. I'll come in and eat with you. And, and it, the prophetic, it's so fascinating because there's a prophetic ministry to the church first to equip her so she can have a prophetic ministry in the world as followers of the you know, slaughtered lamb of God. And I just, I, I just love that. So, because that's, I feel like is our core of what at least we're seeking to do here in EH discipleship. It's all about the integrity of one's inner life. Jesus is concerned about the inner integrity of the church, the seven churches. And again, the theme of today is don't trade your inner life for the illusion of momentum. So let's talk about inner, the inner life or inner integrity with yourself, with God, with others. Instead of saying I either have it or I don't, I want to invite you to think about it on a scale of a continuum of one to 10. You know, one being, you know, you're locking integrity in a very uh, horrific way, you know, really, really living a double life, which is what we often find about in the papers and uh, scandals and all. Uh, and 10 being your, like Jesus, fully living. Your external life is, and your internal life are, are, are one. There's no gap between the two. But for us uh, on earth, in our flesh, we're on a continuum of one to 10. So let me share a bit of my, about my own journey on this continuum of, uh, the inner life, not trading my inner life for an illusion of momentum. And, you know, to give you a sense, and then I want to make some applications for you. My first 17 years of leadership, uh, you know, really were, I, I, I think back to, if you, you've heard the podcast, it, it's, it's one of the chapters in the book, Follow the Crucified, Not the Americanized Jesus. Uh, I was very concerned with the, I, I was very caught up uh, with worldly ideas of momentum. Uh, and so I wanted to be popular. I wanted to be noticed and esteemed by others as I served Jesus. It was very deep and unconscious, and I couldn't even recognize it for what it was, but it would surface in very subtle ways. Uh, but it was recognizable. You know, how am I coming off as I preach this sermon uh, or as I use this illustration? And and how's our church look? How's my ministry look to other people? Uh, what are they thinking? Or um, I wasn't saying things perhaps that were true to people, uh, because I didn't want to, I didn't want them to see me in a bad light. I wanted to be liked, and and uh, I didn't want to share my struggles because I don't want people to think of me as weak and broken and all that. And but I wanted to be popular, and I also wanted to be considered, you know, a great leader, at least by the world standards. I want to build a great ministry, and 
uh, size-wise. I, I wanted to effectively reach people better than most. I wanted to have great power. Uh, I wanted to be a great teacher, but I was very concerned about me looking pretty good. Uh, and I wanted to be a success, again, by the world standards. Bigger is better uh, in the world, and that's how I saw it. You know, numbers, the, the quicker you get big, the better it looks. And, and if your numbers are increasing, you're definitely uh, being a success. And if your numbers are diminishing, you're not being a success. And uh, I overlooked character so often in people around me, in and I preferred gifts that people could get it done. And so I'd rush a lot uh, to build the ministry, and I I mom the momentum I was looking from was a false momentum. And of course, I avoided suffering and failure. I don't, I wasn't honest about my setbacks. I covered over them. Uh, and I, so, so part of my journey, and as I got into what we call today emotionally healthy discipleship, again, what you can call really whole ministries about integrity, I, I got a hold of the fact that I was not living, my, my integrity gap was large. Uh, and I started this EH discipleship journey after 17 years. And, um, and began to uh, really go after those false understandings of momentum and success and greatness and popularity and let God get into my life and begin to make some changes. So I was growing and I began to grow in integrity and being honest with myself and being honest with other people and amazingly being honest with God uh, as well. Uh, and as I was growing in integrity, I recognized that I was had too much going on in my life and I was not living as a leader for Christ, uh, a model that I could say imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because I, I, I had too much going on, I was too busy still. Um, and that's what drew me to begin to learn from the contemplative tradition, the monastic tradition of history, the slow down spirituality. Uh, and uh, began to learn from uh, monasteries about silence and solitude and stillness and slowing down and what are some anchors that I could somehow use in the middle of living in the beast here of our culture uh, in New York here and pastoring and how how can I have a greater integrity that I'm preaching and leading out of a deep well in Jesus that um, slow down enough that I could really be really be deeply present on a greater level to God, to myself, to others. Uh, and it was, again, it was a move along that continuum of integrity to greater integrity and uh, getting out of that illusion of what is real momentum look like. And then by 2000, you know, then, then you know, a few years later, I, I recognized there was another level of uh, inner integrity that God was calling me to and the invitation I needed to grow and mature and that I wasn't having the level of difficult conversations on a leadership level that I needed to have. Uh, again, I was running at that point a, a rather large ministry with 20, 25 people that were actually being paid, budgets and strategic planning, but there were real gaps. Uh, and I was not uh, leading well and applying everything I'd learned up to that point on the high executive levels of leadership. And uh, boy, that was, a, that was another crucible of integrity growth of um you know really coming to grips with some i'd say ugly parts of myself and uh and getting out of an illusion of what is real momentum look like and so actually the emotionally healthy leader book came out of that and 
uh, and it impacted then as I began to move after that and how I did succession, the way I write, and as we launched EH Discipleship and how I lead this and how I even do a podcast and being reflective and the kind of decisions we make. And I'm still growing, of course. And uh, in fact, I'll give you an example of uh, this is a never ending process, at least while one is on earth. Uh, last week, we had a strategic planning meeting as an executive team and our board chair person of the board came as well. And uh, a certain moment we broke up into groups of two and uh, Ruth, who is the executive director of EH Discipleship, uh, was in a group with uh, Jerry, my wife, and, and the chairperson of the board. And uh, she was struggling with being reporting to me because I was I was neglecting her. I wasn't meeting with her the way she needed to be met with and responding to her requests. And because I was out writing and kind of in the clouds. And so to make a long story short, they came out of it in, in a very nice way. Not interesting. my wife was part of role playing with her to coach her. I was gently rebuked uh, uh, about, um, you know, that the most important thing is that we're living in integrity here as a leadership team and that I needed to be setting a time side, even though I'm a visionary and a dreamer and artsy and a bit scattered, that how critical it is for me to have a weekly meeting where she sets the agenda and I listen and I you know respond to questions, uh, but that I deeply, she feels deeply respected and loved. So it was, it was a lovely, gentle rebuke uh, to me. Again, it's all a continuum. And my observations today is that uh, as I talk with pastors and leaders, uh, I see three large areas where uh inner integrity of leadership is at stake, or we were tempted to trade our inner life for an illusion of momentum. And here's what I see. First is that so often uh, leaders skim on their, form their, their own formation in Jesus. In other words, they kind of get content with, I got enough formation going on here that everyone's happy. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's been said properly that business, busyness is the enemy of spirituality, that it's essentially laziness doing the easy thing instead of the hard thing. Uh, it's just so easy to skim on one's formation in our life because it takes so much time. To be able to be listening to God's invitation in setbacks and disappointments and dark nights, because dark nights are the normal way that we grow in loving union with Jesus. But that takes paying attention. The temptation is to skim. The second way that we I think trade our inner life for an illusion of momentum is we fail to address elephants that are in the room. I'm talking about little elephants, big elephants. I'm referring to inappropriate behaviors that remain unacknowledged or unresolved immaturities, especially with our team, because it takes a lot of time. It's messy. So we get tempted to skim. And I think finally, a, another large area where I, over and over again, I, I seem to be addressing with individuals is that we fail to actually mentor and develop mature leaders and disciples around us um, because it takes so much time and so we skim on it. Now we do we may do some kind of large leadership meeting, something in a sense we skim, we do it light. Uh, but what happens to do that kind of work of actually mentoring and developing, especially our core team or some core leaders into leaders of leaders, it's just messy work. Think of Jesus in a 12, it was so messy and it takes a lot of time, it's easy to skim. Now listen, remember, the book of Revelation is addressing two primary groups of people. The first are the uh, affluent uh, folks in the churches that are compromising with the world or the beast or Babylon. 
And so they're, they're in a sense, they're, they're worshiping God, but they're also kind of worshiping the beast at the same time. They're enjoying the benefits of the beast. And Jesus basically comes and says, that's a fatal compromise to tolerate pagan practices from the wider culture inside uh, in the church. And uh, so that's the first group people he goes after, really calling them with his blazing eyes to turn to him uh, and do the kind of allow him into that into their lives. And the second is it's speaking to people who are who are suffering and are weary, but are being faithful. And it's, it's meant to be a book of great encouragement to persevere, to resist and to have hope. Uh, and get a vision for the future of a new Jerusalem, a heaven and earth, and that where they're, called, and they're invited, work invited to live from the future. The message of Revelation is that we don't live for the future; we live from the future. We live every day in light of the of a great future, God's coming, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. And it's like knowing the you know the finals of the World Cup or the basketball, NCAA basketball championship game. Like we know the ending and we can rest. That Babylon will fall. The world and every kingdom in it will fall and disappear and the new Jerusalem will replace her. This is the reality. And Jesus gives us a different uh, alternative, a different vision that's coming down from heaven. In a sense, we've tasted it in Christ if we've come to Jesus. And it's coming in all of its full intensity and, uh, and fullness. But there's going to come a day when there's no longer a temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, Revelation 21. The whole city uh, of God will be the Holy of Holies. Remember the earthly temple in Jerusalem? Only one person, the high priest, one time a year, with the sacred name of God on his forehead, he could enter God's glorious, immediate presence in the Holy of Holies. Uh, but in heaven, God's eternal Holy of Holies is it that's the whole place the whole place is the holy of holies and we will enjoy his presence his glory his immediacy we'll see his face forever remember no one could see his face on earth and live wow that's where we're headed and the climax of all the history is in god there's going to be a city, as this picture is given, of the gates of the 12 tribes of Israel. The foundations of the city is, a, is the 12 apostles and this massive 144-mile walls, you know, the width of the walls of the city. There'll be no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. And we're going to share in God's reign. We'll be priests, seeing him face-to-face and worship, but we'll also be ruling and reigning as kings. We'll be participating with him in reigning over this vast universe or universes uh, for all eternity. So don't move away from your post and what God's asked you to do. Uh, be faithful. Don't don't trade your inner, your inner life for the illusion uh, of, a, of momentum. And we want to bear witness to what's true and faithfully follow the crucified Jesus, trusting him, letting go of all earthly attachments, all earthly attachments. So I want to invite you to get on this journey of inner integrity. Uh, with me uh, and to invest in your inner life. And to get started, our first step is always, you know, take, uh, go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature and take the EH Discipleship Personal Assessment. Am I an emotional infant, child, adolescent, or adult? Get a sense of where are you right now? Uh, and uh, it takes 15 minutes. Let me encourage you to do that. Go to emotionallyhealthy.org slash mature and take that personal assessment and get a sense of where you are right now. And then out of that will come some steps you'll see. We'll send you an email to you after you do it um, about kind of get, taking your first steps to get started on uh, really building a powerful, deep, anchored, rooted inner life. 
But a second invitation I want, I want to give to you is, is to uh, pick up a, uh, an ebook, a free ebook that we've published called Church Culture Revolution, a six-part vision for a culture that deeply changes lives. And uh, or identify six characteristics of a quality church ministry leading, uh, leading, living uh, out of a healthy culture, a deep inner life. Talking about like slow down integrity, slow down leadership. I'm sorry, slow down spirituality, integrity and leadership beneath the surface discipleship, health building healthy community, passionate marriages and singleness, and every person in full time ministry. Just go to emotionallyhealthy.org/slash church culture that's emotionallyhealthy.org slash church culture and check that out it's not a long book but it's really worth reading so as we close here uh let me invite you to hear the words of jesus that he spoke to the church of philadelphia that you hear these words for you and jesus says this these are the words of him who is holy and true what he opens no one can shut and what he shuts no one can open see i've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. Maybe some doors have shut around you, but Jesus said, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. And I want to invite you to ask the Lord, what might be an open door that you've placed before me? What are your invitations to me now? And may you not trade your inner life ever for an illusion of momentum. God bless everybody. Been really good to be with you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine on you and may your cup overflow and may you lead out of an overflowing cup in Jesus. Blessings. <laughs>